0: Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 138, Looking Back on Bulgarian Awakening, Part 1. Here we are in the Season 6 recap. Uh, Yeah, quick mention, no new patrons. It's only been a couple days since the last episode. But in this recap, I I was debating between three shorter episodes and two longer episodes. But I figure, you know, you all don't want to... You're not in this for the recaps. I mean, I I hope they're useful and everything. But uh, I thought, okay, let's do two long recaps so we can get to that interesting new content uh, even sooner. So it'll just be... This one and the first, you know, kind of first one in June. And then towards the end of June, we will start off on season seven. God, it's Wow, There's been seven of these seasons. Okay, so we started off back in 1807. The Napoleonic Wars were raging with France having just won a major victory. The Holy Roman Empire was just destroyed. It doesn't exist anymore. And Serbia was engulfed in rebellion, caught between the Russians and the Ottomans. Now, in the Ottoman Empire, a pro-reform sultan had just been deposed as the Janissaries exerted their authority. However, just a year later, another sultan was ousted by a Janissary force, so the Janissaries are really flexing their muscles. At this moment, an agreement was reached to limit the power of the sultan, giving the institutions of the Ottoman state more power and making the Ottoman state more modern. Other reformers were also beginning to work on building a new Ottoman army. In response, the Janissaries again reacted and took control, but they were surrounded in the palace and found that their power was basically limited as they were defeated in this power struggle and the Sultan gained more power vis-a-vis the Janissaries. Now around this time, war with Russia resumed and the Serbs continued fighting the Ottomans. The Russians made little progress and the Serbs lost ground switching to defense to help protect Belgrade. A few years into the war, the Ottomans crossed the Danube, but were cut off and defeated, leading to the Treaty of Bucharest in 1812, allowing Russia to annex Bessarabia. Ironically, this is kind of the event that seems to bookend these two seasons, or this whole season. Um, And yeah, this ends the war, but it only ends the war for Russia. The Serbs were horrified by this treaty because it only gave them autonomy within the Ottoman Empire when what they really wanted above all else was full independence. Now, the Serbian leader and self-proclaimed king, Kara George, again, found this totally unacceptable and therefore decided that the Serbs would continue to fight for their full independence. However, shortly after this, Napoleon invaded Russia, meaning Serbia couldn't expect any help from Russia Thus, the Ottomans were completely free to focus entirely on crushing the Serbs, which they did in 1813. George fled to Austria, and Serbia faced harsh reprisals. Soon, those reprisals led to George's more practical and negotiation-focused rival Miloš Obranović, leading a second Serbian uprising. Meanwhile, Napoleon's invasion of Russia was a catastrophe, and he was defeated and exiled to an Italian island. However, Just as this new Serbian uprising began, Napoleon returned and led another war culminating in his defeat at Waterloo and the beginning of the Congress of Vienna to decide on the new peace of Europe. The resulting agreement attempted to firmly crush the liberal revolutionary ideas which helped give way to the Napoleonic Wars. It was anti-revolutionary and pro-status quo. That said, the great powers had mixed feelings about the uprisings in the Balkans. Vienna did mean that Russia could not, for the time being, directly support Serbia against the Ottomans, because Russia was committed to the status quo, and Serbia not being independent was the status quo. Still, the Ottomans were worried enough about Russian support that they were willing to make peace with Serbia, and ultimately created a principality under their auspices with Obrenovic as its prince. Soon, Karo George snuck back into Serbia, only to be captured and executed by the Ottomans. Now, this brings us to the 1820s, a decade which saw some stability return to Bulgaria after years of being ravaged by basically rampant banditry. However, the way this stability was achieved also led to further corruption. Meanwhile, 1821 saw Greek revolutionaries begin a revolution in Wallachia and Moldavia, where Greeks kind of ran things, the Fenariots. Hope Now, these phanariots these Greeks, were hoping that this would trigger a broader Balkan revolt, but that didn't really happen. However, local Romanians were actually pretty angry that the, about the Greeks and feeling that they were mismanaging their territory, and therefore kind of refused to join them in this uprising. Russia, for its part, was Furious because, again, it had just committed itself to the status quo, and now this uprising was happening in its backyard, and so they refused to help the uprising, and it was crushed in about two months. Now, Greeks elsewhere had mixed feelings about this uprising, and many Greeks were actually well entrenched in the Ottoman system and really benefited from it. Now, Meanwhile, in an indication of broader trends in the empire, an Albanian man and former bandit named Ali Pasha had established a de facto independent state in northern Greece. Here, a Greek cultural revival flourished until Ali Pasha assassinated a political rival, leading to the Ottomans ordering him to be deposed and the resulting war pulled troops away from the rest of Greece, leading revolutionaries there to declare an uprising in 1821, seeing that they sort of had a chance. All the great powers of Europe immediately condemned this move, though the Russians attempted to kind of clandestinely help, and many Europeans traveled privately to fight alongside the Greeks. The early months of the uprising saw mixed success and plenty of bloodshed as well as anti-Greek violence elsewhere in the empire. The Persians, encouraged to do so by Russia, also attacked the Ottomans with success, but that war ended in 1823 without any territorial changes. By 1822, Ali Pasha was dead and his little statelet was destroyed, and with the Persian War kind of wrapping up, the Ottomans could focus even more on Greece. However, during these final years, European public opinion began to sway and support the Greeks and thereby pressure their governments. Still, no official policy changed, and the bloodletting in the Greek peninsula continued. By 1824, the Greeks secured a loan from London, and frustrated, the Sultan called on the Egyptian army under the semi-independent reformed leader Muhammad Ali to step in and end the war in exchange for Crete and Cyprus. With this new army and navy, the Ottomans made quick progress through the year of 1825, However, Egyptian involvement increased concerns in Europe that got the Greeks yet more loans and aid for their cause. The Tsar of Russia also died and was succeeded by his brother, who was more in favor of aiding the Greeks in their struggle. Meanwhile, the sultan finally took steps against the increasingly useless and damaging Janissaries. He issued an order to establish a new European-style army, provoking another revolt by the Janissaries. However, this time, the sultan was ready and prepared for this, resulting in a massacre of the remaining jandisaries and the disbanding of the corps after centuries of existence. In the aftermath of these events, with Russian pressure, an agreement was concluded which saw the Ottomans withdraw their military from Wallachia and Moldavia and gave Russia more influence there, as well as giving Russian ships access to Ottoman waters. Shortly afterwards, the European powers decided to pressure the Ottomans to conclude fighting in Greece. Thus, the 1827 Treaty of London was signed. However, the Ottomans were competent about their wins on the ground and refused to abide by its provisions. A joint European fleet was therefore dispatched to Greece where it utterly destroyed the joint Ottoman-Egyptian fleet. This cut off the Egyptian force and led to the war becoming even more brutal on the ground. The sultan was furious about all this, and determined to resist even more. And so Russia responded by declaring war. The Ottomans were now in a desperate state, with their navy destroyed, the Janissaries gone, and the new army still kind of getting its feet. So the Russians, unsurprisingly rather, made quick gains, forcing the Ottomans to abandon Greece. By 1829, the Russians were practically at the gates of Constantinople. Under pressure, the great powers decided on the creation of a smaller Greek state under formal Ottoman sovereignty, much like with Serbia. However, it was soon given full independence instead. Peace was also concluded with Russia gaining yet more concessions. Importantly, this war also led to a quarter of a million Bulgarians going into exile. Overall, though, things were bad for the Ottomans as they had now lost control of Serbia, Greece, Wallachia, and Moldavia in less than a decade. While the Greek War of Independence had been raging, though, greater stability in Bulgaria led to a substantial increase in trade and the establishment of Bulgarian trading concerns throughout Europe. That increased prosperity and helped fuel more education and literary output, including the publication of a kind of encyclopedia by Bulgarian Petr Beron, which helped spread the Bell-Lancaster education system throughout Bulgaria. Now, After the Russian war, a Bulgarian who had fought with the Russians attempted to organize an uprising in Bulgaria against the Ottomans, but the Russians put a stop to this. But by the 1830s, Bulgarians were beginning to found new schools as the national revival there progressed further. The Ottomans, for their part, were slowly implementing reforms as their new small professional army got off the ground. However, this meant that for the time being, they would have to rely more on irregular soldiers. In Greece, the new king Otto I of Bavaria was struggling to govern the independent but also deeply fractured society. A president had already been assassinated, and a civil war was underway. In the Ottoman Empire, Muhammad Ali of Egypt was demanding compensation from the sultan after the disasters in Greece, but was refused, leading to the Egyptians going to war against the Ottomans. Within a year or so, they were in Anatolia. However, just as the Egyptians seemed primed to take the Ottoman capital, the great powers intervened they pressured Ali to end the campaign but his son who was actually leading the army ignored his father's order and resumed the advance Only the onset of winter ended this and gave the Ottomans time to sign yes you heard it right an alliance with Russia which deployed land and naval forces to protect the Ottoman capital and force an end to the war. the Egyptians gained control of Syria and a neighboring portion of Anatolia and Russia for its part further expanded its influence in Constantinople. In response to concerns about Russian influence, Britain kind of restyled itself as a staunch defender of the Ottomans and their territorial integrity. Now, by 1833, a failure by local notables to implement agricultural reforms triggered a rebellion in northwestern Bulgaria. This was quickly crushed by the Ottomans and used by Serbia as an excuse to get the Ottomans to give them control of some of those border territories to better maintain peace. In part because he knew the lack of reform was causing such issues, Sultan Mahmoud II pushed even harder to update Ottoman governance. Still, local officials far removed from Constantinople continued to engage in abusive practices. Serbia attempted to enact a liberal constitution, but was blocked by conservative great powers still concerned about liberal reforms. Several more attempted revolts in Bulgaria led to yet more bloody reprisals. But despite this failure, the 1830s saw schools and education expand greatly in Bulgaria, alongside new factories, as educational development and economic development increased together. Now 1838 saw the death of Mahmoud II and the end of his reign, which saw dramatic reforms finally come to the Ottoman Empire. Around this time, war broke out between the Ottomans and the Egyptians, which saw the European powers again side with the Ottomans and dramatically reduce the size and power of the Egyptian state. Also, in the early months of this new sultan's rule, he signed the Tanzimat Edict, which kicked off a new era of reform, promising equality and fairness for all Ottoman citizens, although implementing those provisions on the ground would prove extremely difficult and very little change practically as a result of it. In fact, this more often made the empire's Muslims angry that their rights were being reduced relative to its other faith communities, while Christians were angry that the rights promised in the Tanzimat Edict were not being enforced. But still, little by little, things were changing. 1840s saw printing presses, a flourishing of literature, Bulgarian newspapers opening around Europe, more schools, and even foreign financial assistance from Russia, all coming together to help the Bulgarian National Revival continue its work. However, as these changes came, it became more and more clear that the corrupt Greek-dominated Patriarchate was a major obstacle to reform and progress within Bulgaria. As a result, hostility to the church was beginning to grow alongside calls for an independent Bulgarian church which could actually help Bulgaria in its national development. In this environment, the young Georgi Rakovski founded the first of many secret societies aiming to liberate Bulgaria from Ottoman rule. His work began in Braila, a Romanian town near the Danube delta with a thriving Bulgarian community. However, Rokovsky's first attempt to lead an uprising was betrayed and he was sentenced to death before getting out of the situation by acquiring a Greek passport and escaping to France. Within two years, he was back in Bulgaria meeting with other Bulgarian dissidents and, together with them, fighting for an independent Bulgarian church. Soon, though, wealthy local Bulgarians who benefited from the Ottoman system got Rokovsky arrested. He was found guilty in an Ottoman court, but the Patriarchate ensured he stayed in prison. Three and a half years later, he was finally let out, and by this point, he was ironically familiar enough with the Ottoman legal system to begin becoming wealthy to work working as a lawyer. Now, on the church front, by 1845, the Ottomans agreed to at least form a committee to consider the question of an independent Bulgarian church. However, this meant very little in practice, and the Patriarchate successfully lobbied and to exile the leaders of the independent church movement. Now, 1848 saw a wave of revolution sweep across Europe as more Europeans became political reading newspapers and developing opinions about liberalism, nationalism, and socialism. Karl Marx was working on his major works, and dissatisfaction with the old absolute monarchs and staunchly conservative governments of the continent was growing. That year saw uprisings throughout Europe, and in Paris, the monarchy was overthrown. In Berlin, the uprising aimed to unite the various German states into a single German state. However, this German uprising was crushed. Now, Austria was most worried about these revolutions because they felt they might destroy its multi-ethnic empire. They attempted to get ahead of things by appointing liberal ministers, but the governments that resulted were unstable, and Hungarians began to protest. In response, the Austrian emperor agreed to create a Hungarian state within the empire. However, elements within that state disagreed and ultimately raised a Hungarian army. This triggered what was effectively a civil war, leading to Russia intervening on behalf of the empire. While the Ottoman Empire didn't experience any such revolts, there were uprisings against the Russians in Wallachia and Moldavia, showing how strong European influence had become in those places relative to places like Bulgaria, where there was really nothing from the uh, 1848 uprising going on. Ultimately, that Russian invasion crushed the uprisings in Wallachia and Moldavia, as well as in Austria. And by the end of 1849, all the major uprisings of the year before were crushed, and only that French one saw any real success. Now, these revolutions did lead to thousands of refugees arriving in Bulgaria, helping to spread some of their liberal ideas. By this time, the advocates for an independent Bulgarian church were also seeing some real progress, and were finally allowed by the Ottomans to have a physical church built in the Ottoman capital. However, no surprise they were still far from satisfied. That same year saw the Viden Rebellion bring hundreds of opposing Bulgarian and Ottoman fighters into bloody clashes in northwestern Bulgaria. Serbs actually helped hand over Bulgarian rebels to the Ottomans to prove their loyalty to the Ottomans, kind of further Miloš Obrenović's attempt to placate the Ottomans in order to get more concessions from them. Now, as the 1850s progressed, the Ottoman government was expanding rapidly, developing more departments and more responsibilities. In essence, it was transitioning from more of an early modern empire into a modern one but elsewhere in Europe, the alliances and policies vis-a-vis the Ottomans established earlier in the century were beginning to break down. In particular, Russia now believed that it should be allowed to expand its power against the Ottomans in, effectively, gratitude and thanks for its actions to help crush the 1848 revolution in Austria, and well, Britain and France France now under Emperor Napoleon III, that uh, whole Second Republic hadn't lasted long, well, they were staunchly against this, leading to resentments all around. Soon, Russia, Britain, and France were engulfed in a diplomatic and military spat over the statuses, their statuses, as protectors of various Christian communities within the Ottoman Empire. Napoleon III was escalating the situation more and more. Finally, Russia occupied Wallachia and Moldavia, assuming Austria would back it up, in again, gratitude for its help in 1848. But this did not work out, and things continued to escalate until 1853, the Russian Navy attacked the Ottoman Navy in the Black Sea, destroying it, and demonstrating a new era of naval gunnery and evolving naval warfare. All of this led to the Ottomans declaring war, and with that, the the post-Napoleonic Concert of Europe was broken, and the Crimean War had begun. Now, as the war kicked off, Bulgarians like Krakowski were frantically organizing military units and political organizations to help aid the Russians in what they hoped would be a fight to liberate Bulgaria. The war began with fighting around the Danube, but this was inconclusive. And finally, Britain and France declared war in response to Russian control of the Black Sea. A French flotilla quickly bottled up the Russian navy in Sevastopol. Greece initially assumed the war would remain between the Ottomans and Russians and therefore incited revolts in Ottoman territory that neighbored it as an excuse to invade and take it. However, these revolts were crushed, greatly embarrassing King Otto. Meanwhile, British and French soldiers began landing in Varna in great numbers as Austria pressured Russia to withdraw from Wallachia and Moldavia. Just as the Ottomans began to make some gains there, Russia took Austria's position as a way to close that theater and withdrew. In response, the Allied powers decided to invade Crimea by sea. However, even by this stage, the primitive Ottoman banking system was struggling to finance this whole war, leading the port to take out substantial loans from Britain and France, also meaning that taxation reform, which had reduced the heavy burdens of taxes on Bulgarians, was now gonna go out the window, Soon, the Allied forces landed in Crimea and were immediately faced with the harsh realities of their poor planning, causing tens of thousands of deaths from disease alone. In this moment, the Allies had a chance to quickly defeat the Russians in Crimea but squandered it, leading both sides to dig in and begin a bloody siege at Sevastopol. That winter caused more deaths on both sides as Sardinia Piedmont joined the war, hoping to gain support to unify Italy. By late 1855, the Allies had fulfilled their main objectives in Crimea, and early the next year, peace talks began. Not much territory changed hands, because the main purpose of the war was to really maintain the status quo. Only Bessarabia was returned to Moldova as Russian influence in the principalities was eliminated. The war had had a major impact on Bulgaria, as it brought a large number of Westerners into Bulgarian territory for the first time. It also saddled the Ottomans with enormous debts and meaning basically the Ottomans would need Bulgarian taxpayers to help them cover them. And most importantly, this all led to a bit of a refugee crisis as hundreds of thousands of Tatars fled Crimea into Ottoman lands, with many coming to Bulgaria and holding a deep resentment of Christians treating locals badly. All this led to a lot of violence and resentment within Bulgaria. Russia, for its part, was now humbled and isolated. The long ties between Russia and Austria were severed, and the latter was also weakened and would soon see its position in Europe diminished as a result. Lastly, for Bulgarians, who had long looked to Russia as the great power most able to bring them liberation, the war forced them to consider other options. In the aftermath of the war, Britain and France encouraged the Ottomans to continue their reforms, leading to another major reform edict in 1856 to further establish civil rights in the empire, well, at least in theory. But even if the Ottoman state was somewhat unable to change the way its governance existed on the ground, European influence was changing Bulgaria quite a lot, The way people dressed and spoke were changing as people in every corner of Bulgaria became more aware of European styles. Family names also began to become more common. Tied to all this was the gradual development of a Bulgarian middle class, as trade brought wealth, wealth paid for education, and people became more aware of the wider world through tools like newspapers. However, publishing these newspapers was pretty dangerous, as Rakosi found out when he was arrested in Austria with Serbian aid and extradited to Wallachia. However, he was soon freed and left for Odessa, where he began planning another revolt. Meanwhile, Bulgarians were pressuring the sultan ever more intensely for an independent church as they began construction on a proper Bulgarian church in the Ottoman capital. The Ottomans, for their part, still weren't very receptive, although the growing Catholic Union movement did worry the Patriarch greatly. The mid-1870s saw the establishment of American and British Protestant missionaries in Bulgaria who created schools, churches, and attempted to convert and quote-unquote civilize locals. Now, back in Serbia, the Karađorđević dynasty had taken control once again, only to be again overthrown and replaced by the now very elderly Miloš Obrenović who himself soon died and was replaced by his son elsewhere the late 1850s saw a major pushes for national unification Vlaki and moldavia began unifying their administrations before the two were joined in a personal union under the prince in 1859 before ultimately becoming a united romania 2 years later in italy 1859 saw the beginning of the unification of that peninsula the dawn of the 1860s saw the Bulgarian church movement heating up as violence began breaking out in some towns over the issue. Soon one of the movement leaders, Ilarion Makaryopolski, was holding church services which replaced the name of the sultan with that of the patriarch. This helped galvanize support and well got Makaryopolski exiled. Soon, the Russian Orthodox Church began opening up to the idea of a Bulgarian independent church, which it had previously opposed. Now, Bulgarian officials took things to a new level, publicly excommunicating the Patriarch during Sunday Mass. The Ottoman government now finally decided to intervene by exiling prominent Bulgarian church officials in the hope that this would calm things down. It did not. The Union Church, however, did lose some momentum around this time. In Constantinople, the young sultan died of tuberculosis and was replaced by his half-brother, who seemed to be a supporter of the same reform policies. Now, 1862 saw the first Bulgarian legion formed by Rakovsky in Belgrade, with the young Vasil Levski leaving his monastery to join. As the legion was planning a revolt, fighting broke out between the Serbs and the Ottoman garrison in Belgrade. The Bulgarian legion and Levski both distinguished themselves in the fighting, but the Ottomans won the day, forcing Serbia to expel the legion. Thus, the center of Bulgarian revolutionary activities shifted from Belgrade to Bucharest and Rukovsky shifted to moving between the Balkan capitals, trying to kind of form an anti-Ottoman alliance. However, overlapping territorial claims made this very difficult, to say the least. In Constantinople, the government appointed a joint Greek-Bulgarian committee to examine the church question, though this seemed more of a stalling tactic and, unsurprisingly, nothing resulted. After leaving the Bulgarian legion, Levski returned home, where his uncle reported him to the Ottomans and he was arrested. Fortunately, though, Bulgarian-Russian assistance got him free within a few months, and he decided to become a full-time revolutionary. And that's where I'll end the first of these two Season 6 recap episodes. Stay tuned in June for the next one, and later in the month, we'll begin Season 7, covering the independent Bulgarian state from 1878 until the Second World War. So... If you're as excited about me as that, I'm sure you won't miss it, but I still got to remind you. In the meantime, this episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. Check out the Bulgarian language version of the podcast, again on pause because of coronavirus, but we'll see when we can get that up again uh, at bghistorypodcast.com. Check out the link below to see more information about this episode, and uh, I'll see you in the next one. Take care.